What's up, guys? Four Corners back with another episode. I am your host, Ray. You can find me online at Ray Von Hackshaw. Just the boys this week. I'm joined by my host, Peter, Buckets, and 88. What's going on? How's your uh, 4th of July going? It's going good. Uh, got some burgers ready to cook up later. And uh, I actually went to the store yesterday because I also had to get some uh, some ice cream. I was going to make some, some apple crumble. And, uh, you know, quick, funny side story. So, my wife and I, we try to be very, very frugal. You know, if I see something that's like three fifty, but then it says two for five, you know, I'll probably get it because it's like, oh, I'm gonna save a dollar if I buy two, you know. And then it's like, oh, I always get the, well, did you really need the extra one? It's like, well, I don't know. So, anyway, I'm looking at ice creams, and you know, it's about six dollars or whatever for the, the regular half gallon. Did I buy the regular half gallon, Ray? No, no, I did not. I ended up buying. The tub, you know, like when you go to a, like a big cookout or oh, I know the, you know, tub. the cafeteria, they got the actual bucket. Yeah. Guess how much that I, was. It was only I like was a bucks, child. So I'm like two more dollars for double the size. Yeah. No, <laughs> so I'm a child of the home. bucket. Like, Right. I did not expect my wife's face to, you know, be good when I showed her that I got the bucket. I bring it over to her and she reads it and she goes, reduce fat. I'm not eating this. <laughs> so... I played myself. Oh. I got a nice uh, bucket of reduced fat ice cream for myself. You know, it's funny. I I wouldn't do it either. Uh, I had some. I've had some bad experiences <laughs> with reduced fat ice cream. I tried it. It wasn't that bad. Um, no, it's not that. It's uh, I don't know what it is about whatever they replace the fat with, but it doesn't agree with me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know what I mean, and uh, but but one thing I will, I will say is it's funny how we are always encouraged to like save money by buying more stuff. Like I was just on right. the phone with Comcast <laughs> uh, about some internet things, and they're you know in between bits about actually fixing my problem. They're like, "Hey, we can get you to save money," and I'm like, "Oh, how how's that? Oh, we, we you buy more things, you know? If you hey buy our internet or buy a higher speed or buy a you know." extra packages will save you money and i'm like you know that's a weird way of saving money you could always save money so, by not spending it but exactly and i only do it if it's stuff i know won't go bad before i eat like the next portion but yeah. like i would never buy like two loaves of bread because it was more off like that goes bad fast or you know sometimes they'll see like do you ever see the plans. oh you get like 10 yogurts for ten dollars i'm like who eats that much yogurt Unless you just eat that much. Yeah, uh, you, you're a special person. I, I remember uh, there was a... When I used to go to King Supers on the East Coast, which is kind of like, uh, for a lot of my Colorado people, Kroger, kind of like same tier. They had a deal for like five quarts is like the, the standard, that like uh, kind of mm -hmm. like paper box-ish. Five quarts of ice cream for like $11. Damn. But... You got you got you got to buy five quarts of ice cream, and I'm, I'm every time I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's really tempting. Uh, and every time I bought it, I always regretted it because even though it is one of those things that it doesn't expire, I have a problem. <laughs> I like I said earlier, I was a child of of the of the crate or whatever uh, because I ate a lot of ice cream as a kid, and uh, I would always tell myself in these situations like, okay, I'm an adult now, you know, I'm gonna pace myself. 
I'm going to eat a reasonable amount of ice cream for a day and I'll just have ice cream for the next, you know, some amount of months. Nah, nah, it never worked out that way. Two weeks later, <laughs> people do that fifth, that fifth, they got you fifth quarter or whatever. And I'm like, they, they got me, they got me so good. Um, I mean, it's a good deal though. Uh, so it's, it's like, it's always about finding that balance, I guess, of, uh, getting a good deal versus like, uh, not just spending the money intrinsically. I've always wondered how that works. Like, have you ever noticed that the pricing is never matched up based on the the quantity? You know, like if you buy, you know, like the skinny bottle of milk or orange juice, it's like it's like one seventy nine. But then if you want the gallon, it's like two forty or something. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm getting double, but it's like less than a dollar more. Well, yeah, uh, I, I think it's a lot of the cost is in the container and. I think they just want you to, you know, if you buy, they, if they're trying to move weight, basically, um, you know, volume is important as much well, as anything because they're not of cost. You know, they, that's true. We we could talk about basketball. <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of cost, we're Nuggets podcast, bit. right? Yeah, we're not we're not a frugality podcast. Is that are we not pivoting? I thought that's what we were doing. Okay. Um, I mean, well, we can talk about food. We did last summer, but uh, usually we wait a little, little deeper in the summer before we do a full food podcast. We'll be back. We'll, we'll get back to it for sure. Um, but the Nuggets have had some signings this this year. Or, or actually, we're going to talk about people leaving. Let's talk about people leaving first. Let's talk about... Yeah. Um, you and I were at the parade. We were uh, oh. standing in the crowd as a very inebriated Michael Malone... Um, chain untucked and such approaches the mic and says bruce brown not going anywhere everybody cheers bruce approaches the mic <laughs> one more year now i'm curious i felt like this was one more year question mark i wonder if a lot of people took it as one more year period or one year one more year exclamation point and that moment how likely did you feel like it was that Bruce Brown was going to come back to the Denver Nuggets? And did it go up in that moment, I should say? Yeah, so I'm not going to lie. When he did that, I was absolutely shocked because it actually did let my brain go to a place of, like, he might come back. I still wasn't like, oh, my God, it's a lock. He's come back now. But as I digested what happened for, like, the next 24 to 48 hours, what I actually realized was, what he's actually doing was driving up his own price. He was doing a really smart thing because if you make other teams think, Hey, I just want a championship here. I love it here. I'm not afraid to take a discount and come back. That forces you to be like, as another team that wants him, I'm going to give you so much money that you can't say no. And that's what ended up happening. Right. I mean, I think it is like his market was the mid-level. Yeah, if his market was the mid-level, that would be a more reasonable thing to say no to that amount of difference and come back. But when you're getting offered $22.5 million from the Pacers, I was happy for him, to be honest. Like, that was that was incredible. You know, there's a lot of good players that aren't making that much money next year. So, so Bruce Brown, good for him. And, you know, this is this might be kind of a strange take for me as a Nuggets fan, but these are the kind of deals that that I like about a cap system in the NBA. I don't like when teams can absolutely stack rosters the way they can at baseball. 
and just buy all the good players. So the fact that the Pacers were able to get a good player here, you know, and at least, you know, this is like a small win for their fans, right? Because how often do the Pacers get free agents? They don't. And so if Bruce Brown is like one of your best free agents, you know, the last 10 years, that's kind of sad. But hey, they're still going in the right direction. So, you know, a lot of people were still roasting that contract. But guess what? People roasted their Aaron Gorn contract three years ago. So who knows how this Pacers thing is going to go. But I'm just glad that, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for him. And it's an opportunity for a team that's, you know, kind of on the rise to, to make a move that, you know, under the current system is it's trying to be more fair. And I, I'm clearly on the side of like, I like parity in the NBA. I don't want just the best players to all go to the best teams. I think that's boring. Yeah. And I do, you know, I think a lot about that, that Paul Millsap situation in maybe with a similarly that he can bring a level of professionalism of having that expectation um, of oneself and one's teammates and one's organization uh, of doing the right things and approaching things the right way such that maybe the Pacers can get on track to get out of that sort of um, mid to lower tier limbo that a lot of teams can fall into, especially at the smaller market. So I don't, I definitely don't begrudge them at all uh, for the amount that they paid him. And I'm happy for Bruce personally. I will say, yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't think about what you were considering as far as like, oh, he's driving up his own price in that moment, like at the parade. I just thought it was peer pressure. <laughs> I just thought he was in front of a hundred thousand people who all wanted him to do this thing. And, you know, he doesn't want to disappoint us totally. Oh but yeah. No, it, it would have been, been super weird if he was just like, nah, nah, Moch is drunk. Don't listen to him. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what I'm saying. You, what, what, what all, what can you move? say? <laughs> what right. can you say in that situation? He was very he clever. Was, he was kind of put on the spot. Yeah, um, that's how I yeah. felt. But, you know, I'm happy for Bruce. But I would hope... we expect any less from Michael Malone? No. I mean, he's so intense about he's – so, he's been so intense about this whole process, you know, from the grind to the expectations to all of it. Uh, it is no surprise to me, like in the slightest, that – when we do win, when he does get over that top, over that hump, that he is taking the celebration as seriously as the process to get there, for sure. Yeah, right. Um, I want to go back to uh, you bringing up Millsap for a sec. You know, there's a lot of Nuggets fans mm -hmm. that said he was overpaid and that was a bad deal. He was. The way I look at it is, if you want to look at everything in a vacuum, sure, Paul Millsap was not a thirty million dollar for player, thirty million dollar per year player for the Nuggets. But you got to give the money to somebody, okay? Back in those days, Jokic and Murray were not on Supermax deals. So if I make you a half-baked analogy here, it's like in most jobs that if you have a career for a long time, as you get tenure, you know, I'm thinking like teacher, nurse, whatever, you get paid more as the years go on, right? But if somebody that's like in the last, near the end of their career they're going to have more knowledge, so they're going to get paid more. Are they going to have as much energy as somebody who's, like, fresh out of college in their 20s? No. It's completely different ends of the spectrum. You're doing the same job, but, like, that's just kind of how the world is set up, that the older people get paid more. And I think it's fair. You put in your time. So Millsap was being paid a lot for his experience and his leadership more than his actual production. 
And it's not like he didn't produce. He just wasn't all-star Paul Millsap anymore. And that's okay. It helped the team grow. And I think that's why it was important. Like, if you remember, the deal was, it was a three-year deal for $90 million, But the first two years were, were guaranteed. The third year was a team option. So it really wasn't that bad. The Nuggets ended up picking up that option simply because they didn't really have anybody else to sign in free agency. So it was kind of smart to be like, hey, we got to give this money to somebody. The team is in, in an okay spot. Let's at least keep this guy that is an additive. He helps us. He doesn't hurt us. And then we're out of the contract the following year. So guys get overpaid sometimes, and it can still be a good thing for your team. And that's the way I view Bruce Brown with Indiana, right? It's like, like he's going to make way more money than Halliburton next year. And then Halliburton's max will kick in the year after that, and they can decide do they want to bring Bruce back on a on a regular deal or let him walk. Yeah, uh, and it's also like in a similar kind of scenario. Uh, I think his second year is also a team option, so it right. gives them a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, exactly. if you want to sign him back, you know, you have him, and he's a great player. He's plenty young, and he, he can go get his bag again. Uh, yeah. You could extend him. You could trade that contract. That's you know a good sort of asset if you do want to make that. Um, if you want to make that quote unquote next step, you know, you still have that flexibility. So I, I'm high on it for them on a personal level. I'm high on it for Bruce. Uh, he's not going to the Lakers. I think that makes a lot of people happy. I wouldn't have, yes. I, I wouldn't have personally cared that much. I know a lot. Of, I hate the Lakers, but I don't know. Does it extend to the personal? Not totally. Um, I would have hated it more because and, of like his personality. I think he's just, he's one of those players that, you know, the phrase we use these days has got that dog in him. But he really does have like a don't back down mentality that I really think helps teams toughness. And I think that's mm-hmm. actually the part that I'm most worried about replacing instead of his actual skills and encore production, if you think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I think the you know talking about back talking about point guards, which we rely I I don't want to pin him into one position or anything because I know he's you know he's a guy who will tell you I play one through four but being a point guard in the NBA and being able to bring a level of toughness and physicality is something that I think is really uncommon um, that a lot of the guys even if if Denver was going to go out and spend on another backup point guard who is going to be comparably valuable even um, who might be at the mid-level or even $20 million. That might be a $20 million point guard you might go sign, and they won't have the same level of grit and, and physicality and toughness that Bruce Brown has. Um, so it is hard to replace. Uh, and we'll get kind of into the signings that the Nuggets have made um, in a bit. But, you know, I, to kind of elaborate a little bit more on just – other signings that you know players at Denver losing Jeff Green six million dollars to the Houston Rockets um how I mean good for him yeah I mean are we we, I don't feel like I'm losing anything um and I'm happy for Jeff because he deserves you know he's a big name and he's getting a raise basically um, to kind of be a mentor and a veteran for this team. So I'm interested to see what the Rockets do this year. I don't know if it'll be good, but we'll see. 
yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of shocked at that number. But like I said, you got to you give the money to somebody. And uh, I guess they think he's worth that much to just come in and, and be a veteran and, and teach the young guys. And, you know, who knows how much he'll play. I mean, I think when you have that many new big pieces, you know, they added Van Vliet, they added uh, Landale. I don't want to lump him in with Van Vliet as like a big time player, but like they're paying him $8 million. So, you know, the Rockets are going to try to be competitive next year. They're not tanking. So Jeff Green, you know, is he going to be a crunch time player for them? Probably not, but I, I'm sure he'll he'll have moments. Can I have a hot take? I think he plays. Okay. I think he plays. I think if if he didn't want to play, he would just stay. And uh, I feel like he is. Do so you think they promised name. him a role? Jeff Green seems to be really good at taking young guys' minutes. That's yeah. all I'm saying. I think coaches trust him. I think he has a reputation as a certain level of caliber of player, regardless of his age. I think uh, he's going to get that. He's going to get time. And he, at $6 million, I don't think you pay yeah, I guess you're $6 right. million to not Yeah, play. it would make sense. For sure. Um, especially yep. when you talk about some of the Rockets, young guys and their maturity levels and how enthused people are or are not on their ability Um for some of the guys who have left the Rockets to grow and and what they're actually what their actual progression is. So if they're not doing those things, if they're not approaching the game the right way, you know, those young guys, I think Jeff is going to be a guy who's like happy to step in and, you know, posterize some people. And then yeah, not try and, for and, 20 minutes. But hey, we'll get those posters. And to be to be clear, I don't think this was a situation where the Nuggets didn't want him back at all. It was more like they only had one bullet in the chamber. And they used it on Reggie Jackson. And I totally understand that because you've still got Zeke Nagy on the roster. You've got Vlako Chancha on the roster. Guys who both had a lot of moments for the Nuggets during the regular season last year. So I think the Nuggets know that they can sort of fill that backup four or five spot with multiple bodies and, and probably be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie Jackson, I think they looked at it more as like, we lost Bruce. He was our backup point guard for most of the year. We want somebody who has experience there because if you go to a rookie as, you know, as high as some people in Nuggets Nation are on either Gillespie or Pickett or both, you're still a rookie, right? Like you don't want to have to rely on a rookie going into the season where you're contending for a championship. You're, you're the defending champion. You're trying to defend the championship. So I think it's smart to, to look at a guy like Reggie who's been in the league a long time and say at least he's a veteran we trust him and you know by doing this now you give him all off season to you know get familiar with the guys have a training camp hopefully things go well maybe he gets passed by one of those two guys if he does I don't think that's the end of the world that means they probably played really well and if all of them play poorly for the first 50 games, you still have time to try and go out and pivot and get somebody else somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, at two years, 10 and a half, $10.25 million. I, I think there is a similar, you know, we kind of mentioned like in a vacuum, is this guy worth that much? I don't know if he is, but at the same time, another thing that I think about, and this kind of folds into my general sentiment for this free agency as a whole is that um, 
they, you know, you look at their roster and you look at their salary table, they don't have a lot of those mid-level value uh, trade assets. You know, I, I think, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is, a, I'm not predicting anything or anything like that, but I think if Denver wanted to make a trade at the deadline, they now have a few guys who I think make enough that you can really talk about bringing in someone who can play a little bit. Um, you're talking about Reggie, who is going to make about $5 million. Uh, Zeke, is, I think, is a little bit under five. And, you know, it's you can't really, <laughs> if you just have seven minimum salary guys, you know, what, what are you getting for that? Uh, it's other minimum salary guys. So I think it gives Denver some flexibility, especially because they do still have some other young players. They do still have some modicum of draft assets that um, they can still make moves down the line. And it it means that I, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I think uh, Jalen Pickett or Colin should outplay Rich Jackson. I, I think that's I think they're they're. It's not just that they're um, that Reggie isn't good because Reggie has been good in this league. I, I think it's a lot more the, the the fit, the play style that I'm looking for out of a backup point guard for the Denver Nuggets. I, it's a lot more, I want somebody who's going to be, you know, I've said this a lot last year, a responsible steward of the ball. And Reggie is not that for me. It just, he's, he's a bucket, you know, he's, he's talented, but the best version of Reggie is a guy who can go out and get you like 15 points off the bench. In, mm -hmm. almost in like a like a more mature bones basically um yeah i don't know if i want that you know i don't know if that is going to be I, I think the bench can be a lot better than it was last year so i'm i'm glad they have options uh it just means that that those guys colin and uh, jalen are gonna have a threshold that they need to cross to get on opportunity and that's healthy i think it's attainable it's a very attainable goal uh but it's a goal nonetheless where they can't just do whatever they want because oh you gotta play me you don't have to play them no one has to play um so they can really have like an open competition and um so i i'm actually kind of high on the signing i think who because who else could you have signed that would come here for we talked a little bit about Jeff going to the Rockets and, and, you know, are you going to be paid $6 million to not play? Reggie, if you're not playing, I don't really, I mean, I think he's both cool with it. And if he's not happy, I don't know if I care that much. So, uh, you know, if you, if you brought in Chris Paul and Chris Paul <laughs> was out of the rotation, how do you think that will go? You know? Not well. That is Chris a better player? Yeah. Could I imagine like a, a th that first year of Chris Paul where he hasn't been too annoying yet, where he can be a mentor to some of the other guys and all these other things? Okay. But um, if he doesn't play, if it doesn't work out, if the relationship isn't there, you know, I think the, I, I feel like Calvin Booth as a whole is, he has a vision for what he wants the team next year to be. And he is doing a great job of, uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit with the other signings that they've made. 
a, giving the guys he wants to play and the guys he's invested Denver's assets in the opportunity to actually pay those dividends and, and kind of produce and, and be a contributing member of the team. Um, so how do you, first off, do you like Justin Holiday as a player, just in general? Like, what has been your general impression of him at, at career-wise? Well, Ray, I want to I want to respond to the Reggie stuff first. So, I think okay. um, yeah. he he was not good when he got got here, right? But I think it is hard to get traded midseason, especially if you're a role player, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if you're a role player that actually does have the ball quite a bit but you don't necessarily know how much you're going to have the ball. I think in Reggie's career, he has been better when he has a defined role and like, here, you're going to get to run the second unit. And you can, I know you can say that for pretty much any player, but I, I do think that he now knows without Bruce Brown on the roster, like, Hey, you're going to be given every chance to be the backup point guard. And I know he's not as good as Bruce. I know that he, we're going to miss a lot of things with Bruce. Um, but if there's one thing that he does do better than Bruce, I looked this up. So Bruce, he kind of lost the ball a lot, if you remember. Like as he would drive the lane or even in transition, he'd had like weird random turnovers. Bruce has about a two to one uh, assist to turnover ratio. Reggie's was up at like 2.6 to one. So not drastically different, but if you just have a veteran back there that's going to take care of the ball better, I think that can actually do a good job of, of limiting other teams' big runs against you. So it's going to be up and down. You know, I'm a one Nuggets fans right now. Look, there's going to be bad stretches, right? There's going to be times when the, the Nuggets go up by 8 or 10 in the first, bench comes in, and they blow the lead, and we're going to lose our minds. It's going to happen. There's also going to be times when they come in and they play just fine. They tread water. And there's going to be other times when they actually go on runs and play well. And we didn't see that a whole lot last year. And I think next year's bench is going to look drastically different because you don't have Jeff Green. So you don't have to worry about these like stretches where the team's just getting beat up and down the floor and not getting rebounded because you're old and slow. You know, Jeff only had it like what every other game it seemed like. So that was interesting. He had like 60 seconds of effort per game. Right. So, so there's going to be like... more, theoretically, there's going to be more fresh legs when you're playing Zeke and you're playing Vlatko. And then you factor in the fact that as much as we like Bruce, when Reggie got here, they did a lot of, Malone went back to his like small guards again. He did a lot of like Reggie with Jamal. And Bruce. So now you got Bruce, who's 6'4", playing small forward, which I just don't think is smart. Now that player is going to be either Christian Brown or Peyton Watson, or both. And the bench is going to be a lot, have a lot more length. And I just think it's going to make more sense. It's going to, it's going to give Reggie a better chance to, to kind of do what he does well. So I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm predicting a huge bounce back year or like that he's going to kill it. I just think that. I would be shocked if he's as bad as he was again. I feel like he's going to be adequate backup, you know, veteran point guard that you need. And and that's that's all you can really hope for. Um, so moving to Justin Holiday, this guy is like, he's like the quintessential backup 
wing player, I feel like. You know, he's about 6'6", 180. So he's kind of built like Will Barton. But his game is more like KCP, less dribbling than Will, um, and just, like, less ball hoggy, to be honest. Like, he's if he's open, he shoots it. You know, he's going to fill the lane on the break. He's he's a replacement-level backup wing. And what if we wanted in Denver for years? Wings! So I didn't hate the signing at all. I think he's like and, – and he's another guy. This, this was brought up in the Discord. This is a really great point. He's another guy that's probably going to be fine with not playing. You know, he's he's been on, I think, as many teams as Ish Smith now. So he knows what the deal is. You know, he's probably happy to be on a good team. And, you know, if there's an injury or if the young guys aren't hacking it, he'll be fine to play, you know, 10 to 16 minutes, game however he needs. Or he's fine to just, you know, be a cheerleader. Yeah. I mean, I think in a similar way, DeAndre Jordan, kind of a guy who is here on a minimum. You're not really worried about playing him too much or not. But if you need to and i think this is true for really all three of these guys is that there is a minimum threshold of play that they're going to consistently hit even if their ceiling is lower than you would like uh even for like Mm -hmm. a bench player like with reggie i mean the best version of reggie is that like he gets hot one day (laughs) and he puts up 15 points in 10 minutes like that's that's cool yeah uh DeAndre, you know, maybe he has a game where he's like spry and he hits some free throws and he hits some dunks and, you know, sets some good screens, stuff like that. I think Justin can kind of fill in in a lot of the ways that you're mentioning. Um, but yeah, they don't. I love that I'm not worried about Peyton, Vladko, Zeke, Julian, uh, Jalen, Colin. I'm not worried about these guys not getting an opportunity because there is just like an unmovable incumbent in front of them in the rotation. Like, and, and that is that, that main point is where I'm like, I, I really like what Calvin Booth is doing this off season, because if you're going to bring in all these guys, you're going to spend all these draft picks and, you know, keep, if you're going to keep Flacco around for, I don't know how many years Flacco has been here. I don't know how many years Zeke has been here eventually you should play them or you should get rid of them. You know, why even have them here? So I think just, just the utilization of, uh, of the resources that you have that the debt Denver has, I think it's a really smart thing to do uh, that you've got veteran presences who can play, but aren't going to be in the way, both on an on court and an off court perspective. Um, what so assuming everything stays kind of um static in terms of the roster construction as it is presently that they don't make any more signings or anything like that what do you feel like the best what is your uh best case scenario i don't know if there's a worst case scenario for the bench because we've kind of been seeing it for a while but what is your best case scenario for what the bench can look like and maybe the level of play that they can reach wow i mean it's it's such a tough question to answer right now because i don't know how much malone is going to stagger in the regular season it's not really something he's like 
like to do. So how much does he care about the continuity of like, this is my rotation. I've used it all year and I'm going to use it again in the playoffs. Or does he know his guys well enough to be like, we can just go to the this in the playoffs where I have at least two starters on the floor at all times. Because I think we've all said like, we want MPJ to get more of a chance, right? To have more growth. And in order for that to happen, he would probably need more stretches where he's getting the ball more, which would be on the bench. So I guess if you want me to be optimistic and say best case scenario, the Nuggets have a good bench next year because they stagger. If they don't, I kind of view it as best case scenario would be like average bench. And I would take that, right? Because we we know how good Jokic is and how good the team is when he's on the floor. If you could have a zero net rating with Jokic off the floor, that would be incredible. I don't predict that. I think it's more likely that we're like a below average bench. Let's just let's not be terrible, right? If we can be like minus one, minus two, I would actually think that's a win. Just don't be minus five. Interesting. Um, mine would kind of be, I still have, well, I said all those caveats. I would like, I, I still, there's, uh, I, we can talk about like movement, player movement a little bit later, but I, I would love it if Reggie plays well relative to what he did last year. But at, at the same time, Colin and or um, Jalen Pickett are just better. And I think that that's possible, uh, especially if I had to guess. I think Jalen Pickett wins that backup point guard job. Um, and that if Reggie's playing well, then you just have that guy. You just have that super sub ready um, or even a trade asset ready That if that's what you need. In that um, they play good defense. That you, for, for example, you are right. You don't have Jeff Green out here selectively trying. Um, the only thing I worry about is that they could be. I don't love Zeke at center. Like I, I know, I know he improved at a lot of the um, interior finishing things like that. I'm still not a huge fan. Yeah, I really would prefer him to play like a forward spot next to a center. Uh, I there's that guy DeAndre Jordan. No, it's kind of see him as a third option. So I do think they're not, you know, talking about staggering versus not staggering. I would love it if they could form a unit because I think sometimes if Michael Porter and Jamal Murray can stagger with the bench sometimes in competitive games where you really need that production, that's great. But also, if you can be up 20 and say, okay, y'all go sit down. We've only got eight minutes left in this game and let the bench actually close a game. Um, that is not playoff basketball. And, of course, it's important to, like, note that difference that, yes, this is just a regular season. But I think it's really valuable in terms of your team's well-being, uh, just keeping your guys fresh, keeping them healthy. The season is still long, you know, and that I don't need them to win every game. I don't need them to win 70 games, but I do think it's important to keep in mind that the 82, the regular season is 82 basketball games that you have to play. You don't get to just fast forward through them. Um, so I'm actually really optimistic that the bench can be 
particularly without a stagger, I think they could be even good. That's that's how I I, I don't know. Uh, it depends on obviously it depends on like the growth of certain players, particularly I think Peyton Watson. Um, can he create a little bit? That would be nice. Uh, is Jalen Pickett the? Do you buy the Jalen Pickett hype? Oh, I think I think Peter I mean, froze for a second, but he'll be back. I don't know if a guy has ever gotten drafted. I don't know if a guy has ever been drafted and then had the team be like, you know, this guy's been kind of disappointing the first like few days he's been in here. So I'm always very cautious when it's somebody that's not like a top 20 pick and they're hyping up. I'm like, cool. I'm glad he's playing well. Like that's what you're saying, but I'm, I'm ready for summer league. Like I'm, I'm excited to watch these guys and then I'll make my decisions after that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to base everything on practice. I'm buying in. I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be elite, you know, but I do think you have one half of the problem with the bench solved, I think, in my opinion, that one of uh, Colin or Jalen is a cervical, a serviceable backup point guard. Um, you want to take a break real quick, and then when we come back, we will uh, talk a little bit about the league and maybe what some of the other teams are doing to catch up to the Denver Nuggets and how they might do that or fail to do that. So um, we'll be back in a second. Yeah. What's up, guys? And we are back. So, um, Peter, did you want to touch anything beyond, like, uh, beyond what we've already discussed as far as the Denver Nuggets before we move on to uh, some of the more interesting signings of the NBA offseason, most wonderful time of the NBA fans' year? Yeah, so I just wanted to hit on a couple of Nuggets things real quick. I was thinking about Justin Holiday, and I was thinking about how I think a lot of Nuggets fans were really hoping that we were going to get like a big piece in free agency. And a lot of people would think, oh, you know, once you become a champion, like a lot of guys want to go to a team um, that's really good. And they thought maybe we'd get like a, a big name who's going to like ring chase at the end of their career. And what I just want to remind everybody is when you are in the NBA, NBA for double digit seasons, you know, over 10 years, the way Justin Holiday is, that means you're respected and you've done a good job of doing what you need to do to be a professional, come in and stay ready. And even though he never reached any kind of major level as like all-star, you know, when he was younger or anything, it's still just important to bring in guys that don't take away from what you're doing. Um, I think my best example would be Ish Smith last year, right? That was not an exciting part of the the Monte Morris KCP trade, but I thought Ish did a phenomenal job of coming in, knowing his role, helping the young guys be a good practice player. And, and you know, that's not something that shows up in the box score at all. But I think I think Malone said that he did a really good job of like 
you know, whenever you're going in the playoffs for a series, you have scout team guys, basically guys that are like, okay, you're going to play the way that guy plays for the other team. And, uh, you know, they replicate it as best they can, and it, it can still help you um, defend certain actions. I know you're making a face right now. I mean, obviously, Ish Smith isn't like, uh, you know, replicating Jimmy Butler or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. No, I have uh, in my mind, I'm thinking about Colin, honestly, this year as a guy who might be like scout team MVP. But Sure, sure. And, and I just think that Justin Holiday, while on the surface, is not an exciting name. Just being able to bring in a guy who has plenty of experience, does want to win. You know, he, he could have gone somewhere else, I'm sure. And, you know, to just have another guy who's like in the fight with you and is not impeding progress, it's an additive. And I made a similar analogy earlier, you know, with just like the regular workforce. You know, if you have a company that's doing well and you bring in, you know, a heavy hitter who was like employee of the year at a different company and he comes in, that's going to be like a big splash signing, right? Everybody's going to be excited. You know, you don't know how it's going to work at a new company because it's different, but you're excited and everybody's like talking about it. Or you could bring in Bill, who's, you know, worked for 30 years at this other job and he's never had, he's never done bad, shows up to work, does his job. He never had like employee of the year. But you bring him in, and guess what? The ball keeps rolling. Everything keeps just going smoothly. That's kind of how I view Justin Holiday, right? He's a guy that's going to come in, not going to be league-wide news at all, but I would be very shocked if he's a distraction because we have seen players, I won't name them, we've talked about enough on this podcast, that have become distractions in the Yoka era, and they had to get out of here. So I think Calvin has done a good job of identifying, hey, we're going to do the best we can to get guys we want. And then if we don't necessarily get our main guys, you know, last year they were able to get Bruce Brown. I think that was a big time signing. Now you pivot and you get a guy, Justin Holiday, who can at least fill in and do what you hopefully need in a pinch, but is also going to be okay with not playing. Um, my last thing, I wanted to ask you a question. Looking at the bench as a whole, if we assume that Christian Brown is going to be the guy who's getting the most minutes, off the bench for the Nuggets the next year. Between these three guys, Zeke Naji, Vlatko Chanchar, and Peyton Watson, I want you to rank how you think who's going to get the most and the least minutes next season. And I wanted to ask you this before Summer League because we don't know how Peyton's going to look yet. Uh, you're talking about in the regular season or in Summer League? In I'm talking season. about next regular season. Like, who do you think is going to be uh, Zeke? Like I is probably third, firm third. Okay. I'm gonna be honest for me. Um, and I only say that because I think center just isn't his natural position, and I don't know if they're going to. I mean, do you want to? Is he important enough to optimize? I don't. I, I wouldn't say that, but. I don't think he's optimized in the role that he was in last year. Hopefully it's a little bit different um, where I would love it. Even if Vlaka was like the five on offense, he was the five on defense and they kind of switch on each end. Comparing Vlaka and Peyton Watson, I think Vlaka is going to, at the very least from the outset, have the trust of Michael Malone more firmly than anybody else so i'm 
probably going to go with Vladko. However, I do think, particularly when we talk about the playoffs, Peyton provides something that is just uncommon in the NBA and in, in, in that way inherently a little bit more valued, you know, for a lot of the same reasons that I think Jeremy Grant just made oodles of money. Um, Peyton Watson is a guy who is uh, he's a body type and just has physical tools that are just necessary in the NBA to compete with some of the best players in the NBA. You know, you're not going to put Vlaco on Paul George. You're not, you, but you could, might imagine hypothetically, maybe if he works hard and he does the right things and he makes builds the right habits that you might be able to say, okay, Peyton, um, we need somebody to cover, to be that second man covering uh, a Paul George or a Kawhi in a playoff series. So I, I guess the way I would put it is that like Vlaco I, I'm going to guess like 15 to 20, maybe even 25 minutes in a regular season. But maybe that cuts back to like 8 to 10 in the playoffs. Um, Peyton, I think, is going to be like 10 to 15, 10 to 20 maybe if he does well in the regular season. And that might go up to like 20 minutes in the playoffs, depending on how he, how he plays and how he performs. And there are going to be circumstances that that affect that up and down, depending on what it is. Um, that that's kind of how I would rank those three. I think that's pretty solid. I think um, I think we would both agree that Peyton has more potential than Vlaco. But when I think about this question, I can't just look at talent. I have to look at Michael Malone hates mistakes, right? So I kind of feel like out of those three guys, Vlaco is the guy that plays the smartest basketball he can kind of fit with mm -hmm. either unit i feel like you know he's been labeled a connector piece right he, he doesn't really play enough to be called a glue guy but i think connector is fair and and so i really think that flacco can play with almost anybody and so i fully expect him to be firmly in the rotation day one peyton is a guy that should be in the rotation but is going to have to earn it right i don't think he's going to be the second guy off the bench after Christian Brown in game one, unless he just is kicking everybody's ass in training camp. I kind of feel like this might even be a situation where Malone plays Justin Holiday over him to start and then makes Peyton like take it away from him later in the season. So mostly just because I know the way Mike Malone operates, I do think that this answer is Flacco one. I'll say Peyton too optimistically, but I do think there's a chance Zeke starts playing in the rotation before Peyton. Um, but I also have this suspicion that when we get to the trade deadline, I don't think Zeke and Watko will be on the team. I feel like at least one of them are going to get moved. So I think it's more likely to be Zeke because of the uh, positional thing you've said. I think they're going to give him like one more chance. But how much of that is his fault, right? If they're making him play center next to Peyton and Flacco, like that's just a small front court. So we'll see. I'm rooting for Zeke. But I also agree that it's just not – it might just not be the right team for him, right? Yeah, and I don't know if Malone loves him. 
you know, <laughs> with all due respect, uh, I think right. some guys ingratiate themselves to coaches and some guys don't um, for whatever reason. And I just don't feel like I, I felt the, the Zeke Malone connection as much as Zeke's, I think, connected well with Tim Connolly and connected well maybe with the organization at large. But I just don't feel like the, the leash has been there. The trust has been there. Um, so I would also just part of talk about the money, you know, Zeke making four and a half million dollars. That's really valuable to, to a team that doesn't have a lot of midsize contracts. And, you know, if you want to throw him in with Reggie and maybe a draft pick or two, I think you can go out and get somebody. Um, yeah. So especially if you're talking about maybe a team like a team that is looking to be more competitive, but maybe comes come the deadline, they don't have it. And they've got like um, a veteran player that they want to get rid of and maybe move towards the rebuild. And maybe Zeke's a guy you can buy low on. Um, he has shot 40% from three in the past. And he is a first round pick. And he has just had not had tons of minutes in Denver. So I'm, I want to give him a chance. I'm going to give him be open-minded to, you know, all the things that they're going to do and, and looking up and down Reggie Jackson, Justin Holiday, DeAndre Jordan. It's three guys at three pretty separate positions who I think are going to provide a lot of mentorship and information and knowledge to each of the guys in their group. Like I think Reggie can be a good influence on, on Colin, on, um, Jalen, I think Justin Holiday can be a good influence on, on uh, Strother, on Peyton Watson. Vlatko is kind of, I think he's mature enough that I don't know if he needs that mentorship, but I think even, you know, maybe Zeke and DeAndre work on screening. Honestly, that would be, if you had to give me like That's on one thing. Wish list. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can, I might even, we could talk about that a little bit too, but yeah, for Zeke, it's absolutely, Hey man, you need to like work on the physicality part of being a center in the NBA. If that's what you want to be. Um, I, I get that the shootings are also important. It'll be great if he can shoot the ball, but as long as he's going to be playing the five, the number one thing you need to be able to do as a five in the NBA is set screens and be effective and have the feel for how to the angles, the timing, um, not getting caught on moving screens because you're not going to get the same leeway that a Jeff Green got in the NBA in terms of your positioning, um, how to parlay that into finding open space. So those things are, are going to be on my, I'm looking for that from him. Um, maybe man, we've been running for a while, so maybe we can talk about our like off season wish lists for individual players next week. But um, to do you want to, do you want to talk about the NBA at large? There's some interesting uh, moves that have happened. Let's do it. Cool. Um, well, do you want to start with a team that I'm not worried about, or a team that I'm kind of worried about? Start with a team you're not worried about. Uh, a team that I am not worried about. Let's see. The team I am least worried about right now is the Dallas Mavericks for signing Kyrie Irving to a $126 million contract. 
I, I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I'm curious what you think of this. I mean, where can Dallas go as a team from where they are at this point? They've missed on a number. They brought in a number of guys throughout the years, you know, different big men to try to pair with Luka, uh, trying to get Luka, quote-unquote, help. I mean, I think Kyrie Irving is a great example of that, bringing in Chris Porzingis for a while. You don't have a lot of leverage in a situation where who else is coming to Dallas and who else can raise the ceiling of that team. Um, you're talking about a guy who has a lot of consistency challenges in terms of being on the court for both personal and I think health reasons. What, I mean, is there hope in your mind for Dallas as a, as a threat, as a contender in this league, or even just to continue to retain Luca's services? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a fair question. And I think that if I had to put a percentage on it, I, I guess I'll go as high as like, I do think there's like a 20, 25% chance that Dallas is legitimately good this year, you know, by one and four, because I think anytime you have a player as good as Luka Doncic, you're not irrelevant, right? You're like, we've always talked about if you have a guy that's that good, he should be able to drag you to 500. You add Kyrie on top of it, their offense in theory should at least be good. Um, you know, they'll have a whole camp together. Obviously, that trade really hurt their defense. I mean, they lost Dorian Finney-Smith in that deal. Um, they still have Tim Hardaway. He's okay. People are, like, divided on him. He can get hot. Um, I like Josh Green. He's a good wing for them. Uh, and then at center, they still have Dwight Powell, who's been there forever, I feel like. He's an undersized center, but knows his role. Screens well. Decent rebounder. Decent finisher. Can't shoot at all. JaVale McGee was a disaster for them, which was predictable and hilarious. And then they traded for Rashawn Holmes, who we've always kind of liked. So uh, he he might help them. The funny thing to me was they drafted a guy from Duke who everybody like praised the pick. The guy averaged five points a game last year in college. Like apparently he played better at the end of the year, but I don't feel like he's going to be a factor at all. I mean, if you, if you were lost for half the season in college, how are you going to come in to a team with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving and make an impact in the NBA? So I'd be shocked if he's in the rotation at all. Um, yeah, I just don't think they really have a lot of pieces on the wing to be much of a threat to the top teams. But I could see a scenario where they finish top six and maybe give a team a good run in the first round. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and we've also heard, you know, I recall in a an interview Vlaco Chantra came in uh, to do with the NVR about Luca and how he – in the conversation, it was about how he and uh, Nicola are similar, that they both have these really high expectations, actually. And maybe one of them voices it a little bit more publicly than the other, but uh, that they both have really high expectations for guys to hold up their end of the bargain. And a lot of these, like, if I'm going to create this opportunity for you, I need you to hit the shot. I need you to make the right decision. I need you to make the right pass, whatever. So I do think there's a lot of pressure, you know. There's a lot of pressure on the whole organization, to be honest from uh the front office on down to all the players to the coaches whoever because i think if you're luka Doncic, you kind of had this expectation of who you're going to be in the league and while he had a lot of hype coming in um you've been there for a while 
and you haven't had the the playoff success that I think a lot of people would expect that a lot of the greats um, demand of themselves. So if you want to keep him around, if you want to keep growing as a team, I think there's this is kind of a make or break year. Um, caveat, at least you kept Kyrie. You know, maybe if he's playing well, you can trade him. At least it's better than losing him for nothing, which, you know, they've done that in the past. So I would commend that aspect of it. Like, he, at least you signed him uh, where no one else came in and said, OK, I need you. You know, the late maybe the Lakers could have in another universe and maybe we'll talk about that in a second, but in another universe, the Lakers come in and say, okay, we want Kyrie. So why don't you come on home, uh, come hang out with Bron, and then what do you have if you're Dallas? So I'll give them like a C minus, a D plus. I'm not going to say it's in like an F offseason, but I, I thin ice, thin ice for Dallas. Um, Great. Yeah, let's talk about a conspiracy I'm, theory. I'm... Okay. Go for so... it. I guess actually no conspiracy theory is the wrong word. It's more like just crazy NBA prediction. So the whole like Kyrie is going to ask for a trade to the Lakers, and you know they have the pieces. They have you know they have they signed Russell now, and whatever else they need to send. I'm a zag, you know. As you know, I'm a big believer in karma. I'm a big believer in even more big believer in the basketball gods. What if Kyrie Irving decides, you know what? I'm tired of people talking about me. I'm tired of people talking about my image. I'm going to be on my best behavior, and I'm going to have a good, good, normal, no drama year in Dallas. I, you're already making a face. I get it. It is as far like not small chances happening, but Kyrie's on his best behavior. Doesn't ask for a trade. You know, Dallas has a solid year, losing the first round, whatever. We get to the summer, and Luka Doncic looks at his team and goes. We're not going anywhere. LeBron's leaving the Lakers. Now's my time. Asks for a trade to the Lakers. Leaves Kyrie behind in Dallas. Because if you remember, LeBron, you know, everybody knew he was going to leave for the Lakers in like a year. Kyrie's like, F this. I went out a year early. Now it's going to happen back to Kyrie where Luke is going to leave him stuck in a place in the middle of the country he doesn't want to be. And Luke is going to be a Laker in two years. Does this blow your mind? I think you're muted. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, I had, I had someone, one of my neighbors, um, shot off a firework, so that might be a thing. Um, no, that would be wild. Oh, I, I just can't imagine. First off, Luca wanting to play with Anthony Davis, but <laughs> you never know. You never Good know. The thing about LA is just that, like, it's kind of an inevitability that they just seem to get generational talent so uh it's probably right. i'm sure luca would have fun in los angeles i know he likes fun i know he enjoys himself um oh yeah and i know it is probably a place that could do a better job of surrounding him with the talent that he would need to be successful and, and to talk a little bit more about the lakers actually i do i do think they Sorry, they did have what is the, in my mind, might be one of the better off seasons uh, around the league, if I'm being honest, just in terms of 
who they've been able to uh, being able to retain both Rihachimura and Austin Reeves, where nobody else really puts in a bid for Austin. They they won the PR battle of hey hey guys don't don't put an offer for Austin Reeves because we know we're gonna match it. I mean they won they they did the thing and they got him on a contract that I think isn't nearly what they otherwise might have been able to. Uh, I know I don't believe in D'Angelo Russell much, but they didn't have a replacement for him. And so being able to retain him as well, I think that's important. And for a team that really broke itself down and tried to reassemble itself last year and still made the conference finals, I think they're going, I don't know if they're going, I wouldn't, I'm not saying they're better than Denver right now, but they've been able to like, Put, keep themselves in the mix in a way that I think is really, um, I don't want to say exciting, but they're around. You know, if Denver, if, if a lot of these other teams don't work out, they're they're still going to be in the mix. And, and that's, and if you have LeBron James, if, a, if AD can stay healthy, which is, I don't know how many years I can keep saying that, to be honest. But, um, if LeBron and AD can stay healthy for like the fifth year in a row, they could be uh, as competitive as uh, just about any team in the NBA, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard for me to look at the Lakers with an unbiased lens since I hate them so much. Um, yeah, we I will admit that, that they had a, a decent, a good offseason. They did. They, they brought everybody they wanted to back, and then they added Gabe Vincent, essentially replaced Schroeder with Vincent. And I'd say Schroeder's actually a little bit better defender than Gabe Vincent, but but uh, Vincent's a better three-point shooter. So theoretically, that's a better fit with LeBron. Yeah, and they got Torian Prince, that. who is a good good piece. He's a good backup wing for them. The, the thing that my biggest question about this roster, Ray, I know you're a Rui guy. We still need to see if it's real, right? Because he was only there for a quarter of a season. So what is he going to play like next season? I, I know that's tough for you because it's like, you're not going to root for the Lakers, but you like Rui. Um, and the Russell thing, it, it's it's a real fascinating question because he got flat out benched against the Nuggets. Okay. And it was the right move. Mm-hmm. And so is he going to be able to provide that scoring punch in the regular season? I think so. But when I look at this whole roster, my biggest question, you know, aside from the health, which is like, you can do that with any team, to be honest. Who's going to take the pressure off of LeBron? Are you really going to ask LeBron James? He's going to be 39 next playoffs. Are you asking him to be the guy to take you to the mountaintop? Like who else is going to step up for this team offensively? Because I think Davis is, is has proven that he can do it every other game. Can he do it four times out of seven? Maybe. Austin Reeves, I guess, is the answer now. He's like the third guy on the Lakers. And he played well against the Nuggets, but they didn't really give him the ball enough, in my opinion. And so is LeBron going to, like, take another quarter step back and and, and get more guys involved? Or is the, are the Lakers not done? Are they going to make more upgrades? Because I just don't see offensively how this team could beat a team like Denver or Phoenix, for that matter. I mean, defensively, the Lakers are right there. They are championship caliber. But offensively, I just don't know if they're well-balanced enough. I do think they're a team that is more in the business of looking for the teams around them to collapse more than they're 
have a shot of beating all those teams at their best, if that makes sense. Like they don't have, I think, nearly the talent that the Suns do right now, cumulatively, or even Denver. So it's hard to say. But right, like I'm the Lakers need to win ugly. <laughs> yeah. Which is nice weird, card. right? We usually they don't say that about ugly. a Lakers type team. Usually they're they like a talent team. Yeah, they need teams to like have bad seasons, things like that. That aren't, you know, they need other guys around the league to fall for them to succeed. But yeah. the fact that they're in that mix, that they're in position to take advantage of those things, should they happen, I think is about as, as much as I could hope for from them, especially coming from where they were last year, especially in the beginning of last year. Um, so I hate the Lakers. I just, I see them and I'm just like, I'm, I got my eye on them. I'm, I'm peeking through the blinds at the windows. You know, they're lurking in the bushes, waiting for us to slip up. I see them. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, actually, before we close out, there is one nugget I wanted to touch on a little bit. It was kind of like my outside track hope. Um, really want Ismail Kamigate to come over. <laughs> I know yeah. he uh, signed with Milan. Unlikely. And yeah. he, uh, yeah, it's unlikely at this point. But I'm really interested to see, you know, these couple weeks in Summer League, how he looks with the team and if he can. I don't think he needs to be that good in my mind, for me, for me, to, to feel like, okay, is he a better I don't know if is he better than Zeke Naji. I don't know. Is he a better center than Zeke Naji? He might be. You know, he depending on. I know they uh, when he was in France, he didn't get to explore his game as much, or even mm-hmm. much at all. Um, so I'm really interested to see, especially when you're talking about players of the caliber of. You know, Colin Gillespie of uh, Jalen Pickett, you know, that's can you can you run a pick and roll effectively? Can you be a good floor spacer? Can you set good screens? Can you do these little things that just let a couple of undersized point guards shine? Because that's what that's what they need. I think as much as I think they need each other as much as, you know, they themselves need to be better is, is that for Colin, for, for if y'all, y'all, I'm not saying they're small. They're not tiny, but they're not big. They're not explosive athletes. So, um, right. The my favorite bench Denver's ever had was you know Monte, small guard, not not a big guy, not a great athlete or whatever, and Mason Plumley, a guy who literally can't cannot shoot and who I do not like as a player. And um, but they hmm. were still the best bench they've had in the Malone era because they were consistent because it's an action that they could go to consistently and it gave them like an identity and clarity and structure and i think that was really important really for everyone in that lineup even malik beasley even some of those other guys so um i'm excited to see just like you know go to the film and, and and see what ismail does in uh in summer league yeah but, i'm um, definitely be rooting for him um i don't completely understand all the the contract stuff with him i mean i don't know if it's purely about money if it was if it was like trying to put pressure on the nuggets i mean like if he kills it in summer league do the nuggets look at this and go we have to do whatever it takes to get this guy over here i just don't kind of feel like that's how the nuggets have ever really operated so 
maybe there's yeah, a scenario where right. he comes I, over, but I, I'm not counting on it basically at this point. Yeah, I, I can't assume that it's going to happen, but I would really like it if it did. I know they would have to buy him out um, of his contract overseas, basically, for him to come back over here. That's not cap spending, you know? <laughs> if, right. he, is he a better option than um, Mo Bamba? Or, you know, or somebody like, you look on a list, I love a backup center. You don't get me wrong. I love a backup center. You know me. Uh, you look at the list of guys who are available. It's not particularly enticing, especially for the amount of money that you have to pay those guys. So if you can bring over a young guy who is in your pipeline anyway, I think that would be great value. Great just to have, you know, it's a, it's another option in the tool belt uh, of Michael Malone. So I don't know. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. That's that's what I'm hoping for. But um, yeah. Is there anyone um like league wide that you want to touch on before we close out? Um, I don't know. It's just it's always weird seeing teams like not really know what their direction is. Like Philadelphia. I mean, Harden opts in and asks for a trade, and his GM is Daryl Morey, who is a guy who's like had his back for years and years and years. Right now he's asked for a trade is, is Morey going to feel bad for him and want to help him? Or is he going to, um, you know, feel betrayed and feel like, fuck this guy. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of feel like Daryl Morey has shown in the past, like with the Ben Simmons situation, he's not going to get pushed around. So this thing might drag out and it could get weird. So, it's possible that Harden is moved in the next month, but I don't really feel like Moore is going to move him unless he gets the deal that he wants. Or if they just blow it up. If you feel like, if if you're looking around, wondering where is this going, and you know if you're Joel, you got the MVP Joel Embiid, and he's healthy and he's had a great run the last few years, and. You're, you know, a, a lot of the other guys on that team aren't super happy. Where's the culture? Where are the vibes at? Um, it might be a time to good time to pivot. I don't, I don't know. You have a lot of options, a lot of different directions they could go in, and, and maybe it is one of those things where you wait for a guy who is um, there's always a disgruntled superstar at the deadline somewhere available, so that that could be a thing. For sure. Um, and then one last thing, just super quick. Um, Draymond, mm-hmm. going back to the Warriors, it kind of looks like this is going to be sort of their one last run, right? I mean, clay has got one year left on his deal at big money. Doesn't really look like a guy that should be getting big money anymore. So I'm really fascinated to see, like, do they take care of him next summer on the back end? Or, or do they say we can only offer you less and we're going to have to go in a different direction if we want to keep competing with Steph. So I think this is a huge year for the Warriors and they're going to kind of push their chips in now. They lost to Vincenzo, but the rest of their core is back. And, uh, you know, this is like somebody mentioned the word, uh, this is like their last dance year, I think. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I see the parallels. Yeah, I mean, it's, it isn't. I think it, there could be a documentary there in the making <laughs> uh, about that group. Everyone is just so 
mature, I'll say. So well, and what uh, a life I Steve Kerr has had, right? I mean, he was on the Bulls. You know, he's played with Dennis Rodman. He was Shaq's GM, and he's played with Tim Duncan mm-hmm. in the Spurs, and was around Popovich, and was around Phil Jackson, and now he was around, you know, Stephen Clay and Draymond. Like that guy has been. He he's like the uh, the basketball version of uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm really I don't know if this is a winning strategy, but I'm really curious, speaking of Steve Kerr, like how he approaches building an offense around the guys that they do have. You know, if you're going to bring in Chris Paul, how do you integrate him into uh, a team that has Steph Curry and Clay and Draymond? Obviously, you know, is Chris going to start? Probably better if he doesn't, but I think ultimately you will see lineups with all four of those guys on the court at the same time. And I think there's a lot of potential for just as a basketball nerd, like some interesting, fun to watch play. Not defense. I don't see a lot of defense, <laughs> but I, you know, there will be buckets. That, that's what I'll say. Um, so I think we can also shout out to Jeremy Grant. For getting all the money um he's a maryland guy also not university of maryland but from maryland and you know i feel like he is uh the way his career is gone honestly i don't know if i can blame him for leaving denver i'm not gonna lie just just in the sense that i can't imagine you would ever hear jeremy grant five years 160 million dollars attached to a Denver, attached to an OKC. Um, so I, I, you know, am I happy he left? It sucks, but I do have to, I have to respect his bag. He has secured, not only has he secured the bag, he secured like the vault. I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, you know, yeah. I know anyway. people don't think about him in this way, but but after, after Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I think Jeremy Grant is has made the third most money off of the uh, the process Sixers. He was on that team that was just like god awful. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was gonna talk about how it as like as maybe like a credit to Denver as a place where you can go and then get paid afterwards. But yeah, I mean he does have his origins there. Yeah. Oh, the word's um, out on that. I mean. The- with Bruce Brown and they Grant. So many, yeah, everybody's getting paid. The amount, of, the amount of talent that that team had that they've just like, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about using your resources appropriately. I can't say they did. <laughs> and just in terms of how many trades they've yeah, made that did not Wolf. work out and guys they brought in. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this has been Four Corners. As always, you can find me online at Raven Hackshaw, Peter at Buckinson's 88. Uh, pod at four corner pod and uh we are produced by Jarrett Swayzo. so if you um shout out to him and shout out to you if you have listened this far really appreciate you and uh you know give us a tweet slide in our dms if you want to you come on the get come words if you ever want to come on the show we love a good guest we um if you have an interesting topic you want to cover if uh maybe even historical things i'd love i've loved some of the uh 
I don't know, just history pieces on some of the like high points in, in Denver Nuggets history. So if you, maybe even you're a guy who or gal who knows uh, things like you really love about Denver that we're not talking about at the moment, you know, you're welcome to come on. So um, we will catch you next time. And as always, go Nuggets. <laughs>